welcome to Queer Crime, episode number six. I'm your host, Patrick. As you know by now, Queer Crime is the podcast that discusses crimes committed against and committed by LGBT plus people. The contents of this podcast are not intended to offend anyone within the LGBT plus community or beyond. They're simply a way of reminding ourselves that there are some horrible fuckers out there, regardless of their sexual identity. As you've probably guessed, the language and content within this podcast is intended for a mature audience and those with an open mind. If you have bigoted views, stop listening now. Bigoted views are not welcome. Conversely, if you have really nice views, comments or suggestions, please send them my way. As I mentioned last week, I'm still very new to podcasting, and each week I'm learning new techniques or tips, so please be patient with me while I sort out any editing or sound issues. This podcasting malarkey takes so much more time than I originally anticipated. Researching, writing, editing, more writing, recording, editing, sound adjusting, allowing my husband to give it a thumbs up before I post it, it's all much more involved than I thought it would be. But I love it. I honestly didn't appreciate how much these people's stories would impact me. So if you could rate my podcast on whatever platform you listen to podcasts, I'd really appreciate it. I'm going to continue recording and publishing podcasts each week. Hopefully, they'll continue to get better, and the comments and support from you guys, my queer crimers, are just the best. They make me realise that there are some truly gorgeous and special people out there. If you haven't already done so, please make sure to follow me on Twitter on crime underscore queer, or crime queer on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you. So with that plea aside, it's on to the story. But as always, I'll start with what was happening in terms of the gay high holy calendar. It's 1990. The winner of Best Musical at the Tonys was City of Angels. The winner of Outstanding Comedy Series at the Emmys was Murphy Brown. Record of the Year at the Grammys was Another Day in Paradise by Phil Collins. Shout out to Best New Artist in 1990 at the Grammys, who was Mariah Carey. Jesus, that makes me feel old. And Best Picture at the Oscars was Driving Miss Daisy. And Ollie Alexander, LGBT activist and singer from years and years, was born in 1990 as well. Before I start with this episode, I'd like to acknowledge my sources which have helped me piece this story together. These were BBC News, Peter Tatchell Foundation, Outrage Website, and a superb article by Stuart Hopday for The Independent. Sometimes it takes an outrageous act of brutality driven by hate, to bring about the change that is needed and is very much long overdue. Homosexuality in England was decriminalised in 1967. Despite this, homophobia in the 1980s was out of control. During the AIDS crisis in the 1980s, homophobia was inflamed by the tabloids and made worse by the Conservative government. In 1988, Section 28, which was the first anti-gay legislation in over 100 years, had become law. As a reminder to those who have forgotten, or those queer crimers around the world who don't know, Section 28 was a shitty law in the United Kingdom that the Conservative government passed that stopped councils and schools promoting the teaching of acceptability of homosexuality as a pretended family relationship. So, what does that mean? Well, Section 28 of the Local Government Act was enacted in 1988. It was brought in to prohibit the promotion of homosexuality by local authorities. For anyone who isn't in the United Kingdom, local authorities are local councils, 
essentially the organisations that are run by a bunch of Karens who are responsible for things such as social care, household waste collection schools and so on. Section 28 was a vaguely worded law which was partly inspired by a 1983 storybook called Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin, which was aimed to give children information about different types of family relationships. The Prime Minister at the time, Margaret Thatcher, said, quote, Children who need to be taught to respect traditional moral values are being taught that they have an inalienable right to be gay. All of those children are being cheated of a sound start in life. End quote. Fucking twat. The introduction of Section 28 polarised the country, with the politicians and religious zealots on one side, and the caring, realistic, everyday members of the public on another side, and it led to mass protests by LGBT plus campaigners. Lesbian activists stormed the BBC News studio, midway through the six o'clock news. 20,000 people in Manchester took to the streets to march against it. Sir Ian McKellen came out as gay to protest against it too. Section 28 was extremely harmful and it alienated LGBT plus people around the United Kingdom for many years. The law was stopped in Scotland in 2000 and in the remainder of the United Kingdom in 2003. When Section 28 was repealed, the woman who was largely responsible for introducing it, Baroness Knight, said that she was sorry if the law hurt anyone and that her intention had been the well-being of children. Back to where the story starts in the late 1980s and early 1990s. The Conservatives were intent on homosexuality being recriminalised and their desires to achieve this were being enabled by the police. The police were entrapping gay men in huge numbers in public toilets and then arresting them for gross indecency. Furthermore, due to the media's betrayal of homosexuality and the lack of interest from the police about how gay people were being treated, Violent hate crime against gay people started spiralling out of control. Four separate brutal murders of gay men over an eight-month period had such an impact on LGBT plus campaigners that they resulted in lasting changes to protections for LGBT plus people around the United Kingdom. Protections and rights which we have all come to appreciate and we almost take for granted today. In September 1989, a barrister called Christopher Shiliak was stabbed more than 40 times in his home in West London. It was reported that the crime was so violent that his blood was found all over many walls in his home. In December 1989, a hotelier called Henry Bright was also found stabbed to death in his home. A month later, in January 1990, a hotel porter called William Dazeel was found unconscious with severe head injuries on the side of the road in Acton, West London. He died soon after he was discovered. These hate crimes were really concerning for the LGBT plus community and there appeared to be little interest in solving them. In April 1990, three months after William Dazeel was murdered, another man was killed in West London which led to a series of events which changed things forever. On 30th of April 1990, 49-year-old Michael Booth left his friends after having a few drinks with them in Earl's Court in London. Just after midnight, he was at the entrance to Elthorne Park. The public toilets in Elthorne Park were a well-known gay cruising spot. However, a recent surge in police staking out known gay haunts resulted in droves of gay men being arrested 
so understandably Michael was apprehensive. However, he couldn't see any police anywhere. At the entrance to the park, he encountered a group of six young men who ferociously attacked him by relentlessly kicking him and stamping on him for several minutes. At about 12.40, he was discovered by a young couple returning home after their night out and they called an ambulance. He said to them, Please help me. I've been beaten up and I think my leg's broken. When the paramedics arrived, he told them in a whispered, weak voice that he had been attacked by six young men and he provided the ambulance crew with brief descriptions of the gang. Soon after arriving at the hospital, Michael died from his injuries. The detective inspector, Richard Woodman, said that Michael had been the victim of an extraordinarily severe, merciless and savage beating. Such was the ferocity of the violence that one of his feet had been almost severed from his leg. The police learned from appeals in the media that moments before the attack, one witness said that he had been walking home from work and he encountered the group also. He said they were hanging around a car and they appeared menacing, so he deliberately avoided making eye contact with them and he walked on the other side of the road. Thankfully, his actions made sure he was left alone. There was a report about some young men from the area who had been antisocial and had been causing issues for people in the region of Elthorne Park that night. These young men had been arrested and questioned in relation to Michael's murder, but they were released without charge. Michael's murder would have lasting ramifications for LGBT plus people around the UK. The feeling within the LGBT plus community was one of disgust and outrage. Within 10 days, a group of 30 LGBT plus people formed a campaigning group who were intent on peaceful yet vocal campaigning about violence towards gay people and to change police attitudes against victims of LGBT plus hate crime. The group were perfectly named as Outrage. Within a month of the group being established, they held their first demonstration on the 7th of June at the public toilets in Hyde Park in London. The choice of location was intentional. It was aimed at protesting police entrapment of gay men cruising. In September of the same year, they held a kiss-in at Piccadilly Circus, which was aimed at protesting the arrests of gay men for kissing in public. They were quickly gathering momentum and media attention, so from January 1991, they established a series of groups within Outrage which focused on specific aspects of what Outrage wanted to achieve. The names assigned to these groups were deliberately obscene and insulting, and I loved them. They were Pig, Policing Intelligence Group, Pussy, Perverts Undermining State Scrutiny, Labia, Lesbians Answer Back in Anger, Whores of Babylon, a group focused on tackling religious homophobia, ethnic, expanding the non-indigenous contingent, and quarrels, queers asserting the right to ride every line safely. This group was set up with regards to riding the London Underground safely. One of the earlier demonstrations by outrage was at the place that Michael got murdered. The demonstrators had two slogans which they used during the protests at Elthorne Park, and these were Policing Without Prejudice, and protection, not persecution. 
Outrage wanted the public and the police to know that the police were more interested in arresting gay men for public indecency rather than focus on trying to arrest the people who were attacking and murdering gay men. But they weren't going to stop at protesting the treatment of gay men by the police. They were intent on highlighting inequality. In 1994, the House of Commons debated whether to bring the age of consent for gay sex, which was 21 years old, to be in line with the age of consent for heterosexuals, which was 16. Outrage were prominent in campaigning to equalise the age of consent for many years, and eventually, after many protests, the age of consent across the United Kingdom was equal, with only Northern Ireland being the last to bring this in line. Of course, Given that Section 28 was still enshrined in law, Outrage were not without their severe critics. In 1994, Outrage started to focus on the religious homophobia within the Church of England. One of their new bishops, the Bishop of Durham, Michael Turnbull, had a conviction for a gay sex offence and Outrage disrupted his ordination ceremony. Outrage also protested outside Church House by naming bishops that were suspected to be gay. The press didn't print their names, but these can be easily found on the internet today. Out of respect for those individuals and their sexual identity being their own business, I'm not going to mention their names here. The following year, in January 1995, 20 members of Parliament who were known or suspected to be gay received letters from outrage inviting them to come out publicly. On the 20th of March, the Belfast Telegraph printed a story that one of the MPs was from Northern Ireland. This MP was widely assumed to be James Kilfeder. The day the story was printed in the press, James Kilfeder died suddenly of a heart attack. Assuming James's death and the letter were linked, some of the worst denunciations of outrage were written. Despite the views of politicians and religious figures, outrage remained relentless. Their campaigning was gaining more and more media attention and public empathy and eventually also contributed significantly to two major reviews. In 1997, the Home Secretary, David Blunkett, commissioned a report that led directly to the Sexual Offences Act in 2003. This was a significant achievement for LGBT plus people in Britain because the guiding principle of the report was that criminal law should not treat people differently on the basis of their sexual orientation. Consensual sexual activity between adults in private that causes no harm to themselves or others should not be criminal. When the Sexual Offences Act was passed, Colin Richardson, who was the former editor of the Gay Times, wrote in the Guardian newspaper, quote, This is truly revolutionary. Gay men will cease to be sex criminals and will become instead equal citizens who enjoy the protection of the law. That we have got here at all is remarkable. What really made a difference was Michael Booth's murder and the spontaneous protest which followed. When British gay people took to the streets in outrage, it was a defining moment. End quote. Stuart Hobday, who wrote a wonderful article on this piece of the history of outrage, also interviewed Peter Tatchell, who was a founding member of Outrage and is still a prolific LGBT plus and human rights campaigner. Peter said that, quote, We modelled ourselves on the US black civil rights movement and we got results. After the police refused to negotiate an end to the neglect and victimisation of LGBTQ plus people, outrage began invading police stations, disrupting police sting operations and interrupting police press conferences, 
Very quickly, the police began to investigate homophobic murders more seriously and cut back their anti-gay witch hunts. Clear-up rates for gay murders improved. Within three years, the number of men arrested for consensual same-sex behaviour fell by two-thirds, the biggest, fastest fall ever recorded. Direct action worked where lobbying had failed. End quote. In 2007, an LGBT advisory group led the Metropolitan Police Review and it was primarily focused on how the police dealt with the murders of gay men in London between 1990 and 2002. The outcome of this review was that police attitudes may have reduced the possibility of arresting anyone committing a hate crime towards members of the LGBT plus community. Essentially, the review said that police investigations were hampered by the lack of LGBT plus awareness, ridiculous outdated stereotypes, their own personal prejudices, and very little communication with the LGBT plus community. If you need any further proof that there was inconsistency found in how different members of the police force dealt with crimes against gay people and what they thought about gay people at the time, but one inspector said that the police, quote, were not here to judge their way of living, but to solve a murder, end quote. While the chief superintendent stated, quote, a person born with any sort of colour doesn't have a choice in the matter. I would suggest that sexual preferences, however, are a matter of individual choice. End quote. The chief superintendent didn't stop there. He continued with his backward view of homosexuality by stating that although some homosexuals had behaved responsibly, quote, the problem comes with the other type of homosexual who leads a double lifestyle often using false identities, actually frequenting pubs, clubs and public toilets, has casual pickups for the purposes of sex, and of course, doesn't wish to be exposed. End quote. Despite his senior position in the police, it's obvious this man is a fucking idiot. With an open view like that from someone who held such a senior position, you can understand why gay people were treated like criminals, and why gay people didn't feel like they had any allies in the authorities. In response to the LGBT advisory group's report, the Metropolitan Police issued their own report in 2007, which assured that they would commence more effective liaison with the gay community and they would stop seeing gay cruising as a crime. So is the work of LGBT campaigners such as Outrage finished? Has violence towards LGBT plus people ceased? Absolutely not. It still continues all around the world. Has the UK's police attitude towards gay murders improved? It's a bit of a mixed bag. It's nice to think that the police have been retrained, all prejudices have died out, and LGBT plus people within the police force can come out. However, if we look at the way the Metropolitan Police mishandled the murders of four young men by Stephen Port in 2016, it appears there is still a lot of work to be done. It would be flippant to say that we are regressing, or that we don't have the support from the police in the UK. Progress has definitely been made. Hate crimes against LGBT plus people are being reported more than ever, and LGBT plus people feel like their crimes will be taken seriously and sympathetically. Personally, I was attacked about two years ago, and I suffered a badly broken jaw. The police were very supportive, and I have nothing but praise for them, and how I was listened to and cared for. Hate crime towards LGBT plus people can take many forms. The law may provide for fair and equal treatment of LGBT plus people, but some religions do not. While I'm not saying that a person's religion may drive them to violence towards an LGBT plus person, it certainly may give them cause to be prejudiced and to be discriminatory.
The LGBT plus hate crime data for the United Kingdom is a shocking read. In 2018 alone, the police recorded over 14,400 crimes committed against people because of their sexual orientation. Police recorded a further 2,300 offences against transgender people because of their gender identity. The term hate crime can cover verbal abuse, intimidation, threats, harassment, assault and bullying as well as damage to property. If you were ever a victim of hate crime on the basis of religion or race, disability, sexual orientation or gender identity, report it to the police. Every year the UK government releases police data on hate crimes. Overseas, other governments will hopefully do the same. It's not until governments around the world see the extent of hate crime against people, crimes based on things that people simply cannot change about themselves, that governments will truly understand the scale of the problems. So, my plea to you is, report it. I'll finish with a brief summary on what information I could find about Michael Booth. Michael was a 49-year-old man who lived alone in West London. He was vivacious and fun and had a large circle of friends including famous actors Derek Nimmo and Sheila Hancock. Michael too was an actor for many years and had built up a skilled reputation on the theatre scene and had become a regular in pantomimes. His acting skills also brought him some work on television and he had appearances on very popular TV shows in the 1980s such as Doctor Who, The Two Ronnies and The Les Dawson Show. Michael was deeply in love with the acting profession and he spent a large portion of the 1970s leading on the Save the Theatres campaign with Derek Nemo and Sheila Hancock. Save the Theatres did exactly what it said on the tin. It focused on campaigning against the possibility of closure of theatres around the country. Their campaigning did a lot to save many of the Western theatres that we all love today. One of the most galling aspects of this entire story is that the six men who murdered Michael are still out there. They have not been caught. The world has progressed so much since discrimination against the LGBT plus community became illegal in many countries around the world. According to the United Nations, there are 195 countries in the world. Out of those 195 countries, it is still illegal to be a gay man in 72 of them. It is still illegal to be a gay woman in 44 of them. And any same-sex activity in 11 of them could result in the death penalty, imagine, in the year 2020. LGBT plus people around the world are still not treated fairly or equally. Some people and some leaders of countries are dicks. Let's put people with their outdated and harmful views, including world leaders, in a minority and on the wrong side of history by showing solidarity towards LGBT plus people around the globe. You've only got one life. So live your life with sparkle. And don't hurt anyone. Please. Until next time.